Thank you, Aisha, and hello, and thank you for your patience, too, uh, because we had scheduled this uh, podcast a little earlier, and I was down at the shack, down at the cabin, uh, cutting grass and doing things that I normally do this time of year to try to stay uh, stay busy and stay focused. So thanks for your patience and waiting on me to, to get here. So as before, I'm very pleased uh, to be on this podcast with you, and I hope that the audience find it, what we say today will be of some interest. I am excited as well. And as Dad mentioned, he talked about the shack. So if you are just listening on this third episode of our podcast series, go back and tune in to our first and second one. Our first one, we talked about the shack. And then the second one, of course, we talked about voting. So today we're going to look into uh, just a discussion around mental health. It's something that's both true to Dad and I. So we hope that you will uh, be able to take in some of this information, especially during this time. I want to just highlight really quickly, you heard a song go across called This Is The Love and want you to know that that music and production was done by Classic Entertainment. That's K-L-A-C-C-I-K Entertainment. It's a Black-owned independent production business based in downtown LA and it has really been a huge role in making sure that this podcast that Dad and I are doing had really come to fruition. I mean we have this raw footage that we're doing right now but they really put it together and make it sound the way that you're hearing it right now. They take all of that raw footage and then they created what's great as I mentioned before. It's a husband and wife team and they can be reached at classic.com. Again they not only focus on music, but they also focus on production, social media, etc. That's classic.com, K-L-A-C-C-I-K.com. So as I mentioned in the intro, Dad, you know, we're going to talk about mental health. And I just wanted to, I mean, first really give a personal story because this is dear to me. I think it was something that I've always had um, in terms of anxiety. And even as maybe in dad, you may not even know this, you know, as a middle schooler and a high school, I've always felt if I'm speaking in front of a group or I had a really intense project or something, I would actually physically sweat. I mean, I would sweat a lot more probably than the average person that gets nervous. And at that time, I probably couldn't identify it and just dealt with it like anyone else. And then when I went on into law school, and things really got stressful, and I remember at orientation for law school, they said, you know, if you have 
anything that you're dealing with is going to be amplified when you're under this pressure cooker called graduate or professional school. And so I found that and saw that when I was um, in school and then also afterwards taking the bar that things were very stressful for me. I couldn't sleep a lot of the times, rapid thoughts, being up late, unusually late, being tired during the day, highs and lows. And so it was embarrassing because I didn't want to really tell anybody that that's something that I was dealing with. And it took actually um, a teacher friend to say to me, you might want to consider going to a doctor just to talk about it, just to talk to a counselor that also is able to distribute prescription medication, a psychiatrist, if you will, and try to assess what's going on. And it turns out after a couple of sessions, they found out that I did have anxiety. Um, not an extreme level, but more than kind of the average person that just deals with day-to-day -day stuff. So I'm saying that and being very transparent with you so that you don't feel like it's just something we're talking around or talking about or talking to you. I want to be able to share that because it's something that has affected me. Um, I now am, you know, using all different types of ways to work with anxiety, both with prescription medication and without to include, you know, yoga and meditation and exercise and diet because all of those things directly affect if I have anxiety or not, or if I get a higher level, if you will. So just wanted to share that story with you all and let you know if you're having some of those symptoms or feeling that way, you're not alone, you're not crazy. You don't have to just uh, put it to the side or try to figure it out on your own. Know that there are other people out there, thousands, millions um, of other people out there that are dealing with the same thing. And what's interesting about mental health is you can't see it, right? It's not like someone physically disabled um, where you see them in a wheelchair and you know what's going on. So we want to make sure to bring to light dad and I as we talk to this conversation that it's important to us and it's important for you to be aware of how you're feeling mentally. Yeah, so thank you, Isha, for sharing that. Yeah, I'm aware of not this, all the specifics, but I'm aware of the fact that going back to middle school and perhaps where you were at the School for Math and Science, and even when you were at Murrah High School and when you were off to school at Northeastern University, and as you pointed out, when you went to law school, that uh, you've always freaked out when it came to taking exams. For some reason, you would do well in classes, you would write well, you would be ready for things, but when it was time to take an exam, you always would freak out. And I mm -hmm. think I could pick up then that a lot of that was related to anxiety because basically when you know a subject uh, and you go into it, there will be some. I think there's nobody can go when you when you got dealing with stressful situations as we all have in mm -hmm. our lives, you tend to have anxiety. And I think a lot of it's normal. But some of you, as you pointed out, sometimes it can be a little bit more towards the extreme. Mm -hmm. And that's when it can be, I think, in some kind of paralyzing for people. And I'm glad that you, you know, decided to go and seek help and to seek counseling and to seek somebody to talk to. Sometimes that's not always parents. Sometimes it can be a friend. Sometimes they can be a professional. Sometimes right. it can be a teacher. Sometimes it can be a minister. But go to somebody and help you talk through those things. Because I think as human beings, we just have anxiety and now we'll talk about that later 
we probably got more than we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know and that- I've anxiety too. I mean, for example, leaving Mississippi to go off to Boston for the first time, to go to, I had been in an all uh, black environment and then found myself in an all European environment, not knowing what to expect, not knowing what it was, what it was like uh, in a different culture, when people speak in a different language kind of thing, a great deal of anxiety, a great deal of fear. Yeah. I had it as well, but you know, and there were people that I could go to as well mm-hmm. and talk through some things and that helped me navigate some of that anxiety as well. See, so that's good to know, you know, I, that you had, not good to know that you had anxiety, of course, but good to know that you were able to acknowledge what it was and go well, yeah, and see because, the you know, in my situation, I had been in a high school where I had been like third in my class, you know, I had already always done well in all my courses. And yet when you get in a place where you're dealing with students from all the country and all the world, uh, you're no longer the top dog. You may just mm-hmm. be a regular dog. And, you know, in those kind of environments, you don't know how you're going to do. Right. Uh, because you, you're, you're up against different standards and you're up against different kinds of evaluation. And, yeah, there was anxiety. Yeah. Um, I'm fortunate that I was able to get through it. Right. There was, there was anxiety, yes. See, so even... My dad, who again, I won't say his age. See, even he had anxiety. So that's the thing. This is not something new. You know, this is not just a new phenomenon. And I know people talk about anxiety and depression and you hear it on the commercials on TV to take prescription drugs for this, that, and the third. But this isn't a new concept. I think it's just people are being more transparent and it takes conversations like this between you and your dad or you and your parent or you, you know, you and friends to just open up and say that it's okay and sometimes it's not easy because we try to present ourselves as perfect to our parents or our guardians or whoever are um you know people that love us in our lives but if we don't say anything people can't help and sometimes they might not say the right thing but uh at least if you put it out there you just never know who could possibly be able to help you so dad tell me so you mentioned the anxiety thing do you think that's the reason why you have decided to be on this board for mental health? I don't know. That's a good question. Miss Luce Wilson, who is now deceased, uh, who's the lady that I just admired, had asked me a number of times when I had another job if I would consider being, being on the advisory board. Mm-hmm. And I sort of put her off. And then she came back again, again, and again. She's very persistent. So finally, I said, uh, yes, I'll serve on the advisory board. And after serving on the advisory board, I got a sense of what was going on. And this was taking place in Jackson, Mississippi. I got a sense of what was going on with the mental health community. And then one of the other board members passed away. Mm. And when he passed away, she asked me if I would join as a board member. And of course, with Ms. Wilson, it's very difficult to say no. So I didn't say no. I think the reason why I decided to do it, though, had to do more with stigmatism. Yeah. And we'll talk about that later. It had to do with the fact that a lot of people in the black community uh, tended to shy away from anything that related to mental illness. Now, I want the record to reflect I'm not a psychologist <laughs> and I'm not a psychiatrist. No, he's not. So the information I'm about to give and that will be given today, um, and I just wanted to put that disclaimer in, it's not to That's be taken. I still would recommend that you go and see your own psychologist mm-hmm. and you go your own, see your own psychiatrist because Aisha and, and in this case, dad, yes. are not dispensing professional 
unlike right. some of our officials in Washington. Okay. But no, I think I think Miss Wilson had a lot to do, and this issue of stigmatism in the black community had a lot to do with me wanting to join the board and and be a participant and find out as much as I could about my community and this thing called mental health or mental illness. So. I, you know, we will offer some information at the end, so please stay with us. But uh, you talked about the stigma around mental health. What were some of the things that you were seeing or that you have seen, even in our own family, not just in the community? What are some of the things that you've seen that made you say, okay, I'm going to join this board? Well, the denial. I think mm -hmm. the denial, um, and everybody says, and we're spiritual, mm -hmm. and we've always been a spiritual people. We've always been a religious people. We've always been close to the church, most of us anyway. Mm -hmm. And there's this sense that if you got problems, if you got a, a physical problem, you go to see the doctor. Right. But if you got a mental problem, you work it out yourself. Because mm -hmm. uh, really nobody want to know about it and you keep it to yourself. And then family members tend to not want other people in the community to know that they may have somebody in their family with mental illness. Mm -hmm. So you have that denial. And that denial can be dangerous because in many ways, some people have ended up in mental institutions when in fact, had it been addressed early enough with a professional. And I assume that in the old days, people didn't always have access to resources. Mm -hmm. But I think there was this notion that we could solve problems ourselves, that the right. church could solve it, prayer could solve it. And I, I understand prayer is important, but you also need professional. If you're sick, you may take home remedies, but you tend to go to a doctor. Mm -hmm. physically sick. When we get mentally sick, we feel that we can solve it ourselves or we have these other people in the community, i.e. who are not professional, who uh, seem to imply they can solve our problems for us. But for most right. of it's, I think, related to the denial. We want to be strong and, and macho, particularly the males, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't want people to know that we're vulnerable and that we, we can have some mental problems. Right. So you're right. In, our, in our, all of our families, including mine, we tend to want to push it aside mm -hmm. and not talk about it. I mean, I think what's important- And if we talk about it, we talk about it sort of in a kind of joking fashion. Right, that's what I was going to say. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. We all have someone in our family, you know, Crazy Fred or, you know, uh, you know, he's kind of a little, he's not missing, he's missing some of his marbles or, you know, just pushing it to the side. And it makes me, you know, well, I know we have to joke because sometimes you got to laugh to keep from crying, but- you know, if you know someone is suffering mentally in the family, and I think some of our family members have been a, done a good job with making sure that we still check in with those folks in our family, our close loved ones. If we don't focus on it when we see it, sometimes it makes me sad to see what that person could have been if they had gotten the help that they needed. I think that's true. I think you that's know? true. And there's always a trade-off between uh, their willingness to move away from denial mm -hmm. and whether or not we want to just give the impression so people will think that everything is okay. Right, right. Do you feel as though the, the church has an obligation in a way to address mental health as well? Oh, I think so. But part of that is a trade-off too. And I'm not here to criticize all ministers because I know you can't do that. <laughs> Right, yeah. even though look, I'm just putting it out there. Dad <laughs> loves using the saying "bootleg preacher." I hope that the bootleg preachers on the call. Please, uh -oh. I hope not. Uh -oh. I'm not saying anybody's names. 
Although there are some bootleg preachers out there. <laughs> I told you. I told you. Uh, who who want to continue to come to them? Uh, because they they can solve their problems, right? They have a solution. So they don't want to give that up and, right. and be truthful because it's in the oftentimes that means some of those ministers got to admit that while they can pray for people, they can read the Bible, they can share scripture, that's all good. Mm -hmm. But it's also incumbent of them to be real and say, look, Miss Jane, look, Robert, Bob, Sue. I think you need to go and see a psychiatrist. I think you need to go and see a psychologist. I think you need to go and see a counselor. Mm -hmm. I'm not professionally trained at this. I can do some counseling, but you know, this is beyond me. Mm -hmm. People got to be honest and a lot of people are not right. uh, because they don't want to give up that power. Mm -hmm. uh, that power of you come to me and you'll continue to come to me. You might not get well, but you <laughs> See, I told you, I told you about the bootleg preaching, but this is a good point. I just want to hang on this point because for us as in particular African-Americans, spirituality is very important to us. Religion is very important to us. Yes. And it has not only just been a space where we can go and praise God, but it's also been a place of social justice. It's also been a place of where you can first uh, present in front of a group. It's also been a place, you hear about all the wonderful black singers, all of them say, for the most part, I started singing in the church. That was my first, you know, opportunity to sing in front of a group. So it is, has been a central place in our community. So that's why I was asking the question of how, you know, how do you feel about pastors taking on this role? Because we're already coming to church. We already are a captured audience to the preacher. So while not wanting to put the weight on the preacher, I do believe that preachers and pastors need to really start talking around mental health. And this is really a perfect time because it's the month of May. And month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. So. That's exactly that's exactly right. You're absolutely right. The church is a major institution. The black community, the church, the historical black schools, traditional black institutions controlled and owned by, by the black community. It's also been a refuge, you're absolutely right. I mean, coming off of the of of the slave trade and slavery, if you had not had these institutions, I just don't see how black folk could have survived. First of all, mm -hmm. physically and certainly psychologically. They yeah. needed religion, they needed the church, they needed that spirituality. And that has carried us. But at the same token, in the same token, it comes a time too when we say things that we've used in the past that have been very positive, we have to make adjustments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we have to do other things that add to that and not say that's all you got to do. Uh, right. when, you, when you know better, you'll do better. If you have wisdom, and we discussed that before, you read Proverbs and you say you, you have wisdom. So use that wisdom not only to do the things that we know you've done traditionally, but do some things based on new information you have gotten that could be helpful. You're absolutely right. People are going to be there as a captured audience. Mm -hmm. There's no reason why they couldn't do things like that, like exercise and diet and eating and all these things. The church and pastors can play a major role because they got a major audience. Right. And people listen to them. Absolutely. So if we have any preachers out there listening, preachers or pastors or parishioners, 
however you would like to phrase it, or leaders within your religious institution. Again, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Why do you think about putting an initiative in the church, even if you bring in, like Dad is saying, if you know that, as they say, stay in your lane, if you know that is not where you have been trained to do, seek out the uh, organization that we're going to talk about, but seek out a counselor, a psychologist to come in and speak to your, to your folks. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be Sunday in the pulpit, but it could be a Bible study, or it could be, you know, uh, during children's study or children's church whatever the case may be. So to transition from that into children, what is your uh, outlook on, you know, making sure that children receive the resources and the help that they need around mental health? Well, the agency that I work with, uh, which is the Hines County Mental Health Commission, and I mentioned, maybe I didn't mention earlier, the clinical part of that is, because we just the policymakers, but the, the clinical part of that is the Hines Behavioral health services, and a Dr. Kathy Crockett is the executive director of that agency, Dr. Kathy Crockett. And the number I'll give for those people in the Jackson area, and also the, the metro area, which would go further than just Jackson, uh, the number is 601-321-2400. I'll repeat that, 601-321-2400. And that is a community mental health center. And that's been the mission for 25, 30, 40 years of that center. And we work with both adults and children, got both adult and children services. So on our premises, we have both psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and social workers uh, to work with people and ministers to work with people. We also have a crisis intervention facility where people that are in crisis can call. We also have an entity that works directly with police and the sheriff, law enforcement, because as our audience knows very well, oftentimes police officers and deputy sheriffs are not necessarily trained to deal with people who have mental illness. So Mm -hmm. when they, and they are trained to not to uh, bring a situation under control, they are trained to take control, but they're not trained to deescalate. And so what this crisis does, the training that they get is to learn how not only to be police officers, but when they find themselves in domestic situations or situations where you come up on people who have mental illness, one kind or the other, they can de-escalate. And oftentimes the officer lives can be saved as well as the person who is mentally ill and doesn't need to be shot, for an example. In terms of children's services, back to your earlier point, we're in denial there too. And I think the school system has done a lot to help identify kids that may be having problems, not only just regular learning problems, but problems with other kinds of mental illness, whether it's depression, whether it's uh, schizophrenia, all kinds of clinical names that they give to mental illness. Those people can help identify even to the parents mm-hmm. that may not know what these things are early on among their own children. And so once they identify them, they have a place to come there in Hines County where they can seek help. And this is uh, based on income. So if you don't have yeah. much income, you don't pay much in terms of fee. If you obviously uh, middle class and upper middle class and can afford it, then you pay. But mm-hmm. our, our staff is professionally trained, all certified by the feds and by the state and by the local government. It's one that's supported by Hines County Board of Supervisors 
in some cases they're supported by other entities. So yeah, we have services for both adults and children. Okay. And uh, we have a halfway houses. So we do a lot of outreach. The mm -hmm. staff is about 150 people. But the idea is to get out into the community. And this whole focus for the last 10, 15 years is to move away from institutionalization towards community-based mental health. Yeah. And I think personally it's made a lot of difference because it put people at the level where they are. Right. And they don't have to go and be institutionalized forever. Now, some people do need to be institutionalized, right. but the clear majority of people would not need to be institutionalized. So that's a good point, Dad. In terms of, you gave the information around the organization in Jackson, Mississippi, but there actually is a national organization called NAMI, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness, and their telephone number is one 800 950 N-A-M-I. So that's 1-800-950-NAMI. Or you could text NAMI to 741-741. So once again, if you call them anywhere in the nation, they will channel directly to the particular state or location where you are or services that are in your location. So don't just think because you're calling a national number that you're just, you know, going to get some general information. That's good to know. And they also do research as well. <clears throat> and so they have, if you go on that site and you talk with the only people at the Heinz that I mentioned earlier, but at NAMI that you mentioned, you can also get up to date on the kind of research that's been done, as well as what's going on now with COVID-19 and the right. kind of impact. I think there was a professor, I can't think of his name, at Boston University that just uh, that did a peer review study on how this COVID-19 is impacting the mental health of citizens and people throughout this country and not right. just recently but also into the future and so i want to talk about COVID 19 but just to circle back around when we were talking about children and you know this is something that i've learned later on and just sharing with you that you know when people view kids especially maybe those kids that are going to public schools and Title I schools and Title I meaning that they get a lot of, uh, they have quite a few students that get free lunch is basically the definition. Those students are just seen as if, they, if they're acting out, let's say in, in class or if they're coming to class and they're not wanting to participate. An assumption could be from a teacher who doesn't necessarily have the experience with working in mental health or with those who have mental health will assume that that child is not motivated or that child is acting out and just a bad kid. And that can spiral into, uh, you know, suspension or expulsion or a spiral into putting them into a special ed situation and they're not necessarily supposed to be there. And so for me, this mental health thing goes beyond just me ta us talking about anxiety and depression but it also talks about just being aware of where our kids are a lot of kids are dealing with a lot of things at a young age mental health just doesn't pop up all the time at like my example when i just realize it at 30 something but as i mentioned to you before now backtracking because i had to deal with it at 30 something looking at where it probably started so i was fortunate that you know it was mild anxiety and i was able to still maneuver 
you know, in the school system enough to kind of fly under the radar. But for those kids that aren't able to do that, we really have to pay attention to that because that can really change a trajectory. Going back to what I was saying about, you know, some of our family members or people close to us, that can change a trajectory of a child and what ends up happening to them, especially if you're talking about going into something, an institution later on at the end. That's, you know, a worst case scenario, if you will. It's a worst case scenario, but it's a real worst case scenario. I would say that we have something called the school nurse program. Mm -hmm. So when kids are in school and they have physical issues, you know, they go and see a nurse. What we have put together again at Heinz Behavioral Health Services is something called some interlocal agreements with the school system mm -hmm. in the local area where we, the teachers and administrators can have direct access to community-based services at Heinz Behavioral. So that means that they, uh, see something early on in school, they don't have to solve those problems all by themselves, but they can contact these professionals at our community mental health center mm -hmm. and they can get some help that way because of the interlocal agreement, which means that they have access to our psychiatrists and our psychologists mm -hmm. that they couldn't otherwise afford because most schools, if they can afford a, a, a nurse, are probably not likely to have a psychologist or a psychiatrist on board. I mean, that's just probably not typical. Now, you may right. have rich districts, but I don't know of many districts where that's the case. But if you can get access to that without having to add additional things to your budget, that's a mm -hmm. plus. Oh, yeah. Uh, and these fundings are there through federal funding, state fundings, as well as local fundings, as well as the private sector funding. But so you what if you, like, this is critical. Yeah, what if you're a homeschooler, a homeschool teacher? Would you be able to get access, do you know? Well, now we got a lot of people homeschooling, you know, a yeah. lot of people who homeschool and that's a whole nother, uh, <laughs> that's a whole nother podcast. We're getting on track. <laughs> uh, because uh, th there's some philosophy about some people. Now, again, I don't want to stereotype, mm -hmm. but there are some traditional homeschoolers who don't want any part of dealing with the public sector, so to speak. Mm -hmm. i.e. government. In this case, if we are in fact a government entity and talking about psychologists and psychiatrists, uh, some of these, again, traditional homeschoolers may not want to, to seek or receive our services because they may be, the kids may be somehow influenced negatively or mm -hmm. may be influenced in a way they don't want them to be influenced. So. Uh, we have not had that much contact with people that do homeschooling, particularly in Mississippi. I don't know about the national thing. Yeah. And this all will change now with the pandemic because a, a whole lot of people are quote unquote homeschooling now. Right. Uh, as opposed to before. So segue, I mean, I, I thought about the homeschooling piece that they just had the access to you all because you mentioned, you know, a team or folks being able to go into the public schools with those homeschoolers. We certainly would provide just... those services if they desired them, if they wanted them, and if they requested them. Mm -hmm. But you know, it's kind of like the vaccine movement. You, you also had that movement among the homeschoolers that, right. that you said, you know, don't, don't, don't give my kids vaccine because it's going to make them have uh, behavioral problems. Dad, are you trying to discriminate against the homeschoolers right now by saying that? No, no, you know, there's no way. Are you I trying would... to blanket them? <laughs> There's no way I would advocate discrimination against anybody. You know, I know, I know. I, 
I have tried to point out though <laughs> that there is a segment mm. that is ideological. Yeah. And does not want any part of government. Got it. Got it. Understood. Only joking for those who, <laughs> who are out there homeschooling. So, you know, we're, we've talked about what things look like pre-COVID-19. And I had just had a conversation now that, you know, we're in the pandemic. I was talking to a colleague of mine today who was thereby speaking to her physician and said, while as physicians, we're concerned about curing physically this pandemic, there is a huge concern about what this will all look like after we get on the other side of this pandemic. And the, if you will, PTSD that has occurred during this time and, you know, being in the home for whatever the reasons may be, being in the home and, you know, someone in your family passed away or being in the home and you're with someone, God forbid, that you don't want to be with or is abusive of any type of nature or being in a home and just balancing it all. Kids, homeschooling your kids, trying to be at work, feeding the dog, making sure the lawn is still cut, cleaning, cooking, all, you know, being all that is. So, yeah, I think this is really a time to check in with yourself and see how you're really feeling so that you are prepped and ready and can use some of those similar tools when we get on the other side. I think you're right. And I think one of the things when people look at this thing as it is now, one of the things that we need to seriously look at with respect to mental illness, but this whole issue of domestic violence mm. and the whole issue of child abuse, because people now, and it's a, it could be a great thing when people come together. And I support that and I embrace that, embrace that. But by the same token, there are people that come together that don't like each other. Mm -hmm. Let's be fair, candid with you. There are children, uh, particularly college students that have gone off to college <laughs> and the parents wanted to see them gone and the kids Got wanted to be gone. And now you throw it into a situation where, and it's not funny, where a circumstance is for some of these baby kids, to, <laughs> <laughs> for some of these kids who don't want to be back home, back home, and it's the same token, don't parents don't want them back there right. but yet they have to be together yeah i think some of those situations can create some very violent situation and so we can end up with some domestic violence so i think that's why it's important to monitor survey monitor and and intervene mm -hmm. uh and again don't get into denial again where yeah. we see that kind of thing happening let's just jump on it right away mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. the same thing with children with, with, with child abuse mom and dad may not necessarily be getting along anyway. Yeah. And when you add this additional stress to this equation, and then there are children around, those children can be a better blunt mm -hmm. of that of that violence. So again, as as teachers and as and they're not gonna be able to go to school where right. the teacher can pick that up. Right. Right. So exactly. it's gonna be it's gonna be hidden. It's gonna be behind the wall, so to speak. And so yeah, you're absolutely right with this COVID in terms of the physical thing, but the mental thing, it could hit hard now and then just implications, all kinds of implications for future. Right, right. So if you're, you know, I think what we're saying, if you, a couple of things. Number one, if you feel as though you're at a place where you're feeling like things are spinning and not in control, check in with yourself 
and really realize that, that that's not an unreal feeling. The body protects itself and preserves itself. So it's sending you a warning signal to say, red light, red light, red light, something needs to change so we can normalize again. So if even simply, if you can, if you need to just go outside and get some sun or take a moment and watch your favorite TV show or get away from the phone or the computer because you've been at work and get the blue light away from you for a second. I know it's not easy to do, but when I, I'm pleading with you and pleading to just take that moment, even if it's for, for five to 10 minutes to do that, if you can. If you can't, that is why we sent out that information about NAMI and about the mental health service in Mississippi, but you can also text NAMI. Again, text NAMI at 741-741. That way no one around you has to know because to dad's point, if you're in a very stressful situation and people are monitoring what you're doing all the time, let's say you're a child, the parent's looking at you or you are a spouse and the spouse is monitoring, you can also text and you can text that and delete it so at least someone knows that you're calling or crying out for some assistance. Absolutely, that, that, that line is so important. You're absolutely right. Um, about that. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't stress that more. Yeah, I know we talked about too, Dad, you know, just about funerals. Again, that's a cultural thing that's close to us for Black folks, you know, so I mean, I'll let you tell what we usually do at funerals for those that have not been to a Black funeral ever before. Uh, well, <laughs> and how, get to the, and how the change. Before we get to the funeral, this issue of anxiety, though, is real that you just described because I've talked to a number of people the recent person I talked to, a husband of a, of a wife, and I asked him, had his wife been out the house? And he said, mm -hmm. no, she had not been out the house literally since the feds, i.e. Center for Disease Control issued those uh, guidelines about sheltering in place. A lot of people have taken that literally. Mm -hmm. I mean, they have literally That's sheltered in place like there was a nuclear war or like that was a shooter. Mm -hmm. And you're just supposed to shelter where you are. But, but it seems to me that if you take that that way and you don't go outside, you don't right. see the sun, you don't, you don't get in the fresh air for two or three weeks, and you're in a place where you could do that, that's anxiety. Right. And you're right. That can, that can have all kinds of negative impact on your psyche uh, moving forward. But with respect to the funeral, it's true, and I mentioned to you earlier, in terms of of how COVID has changed everything. I said earlier, people need to grieve when they lose loved ones. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, uh, black community, Jewish community, Catholic community, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, people have their own way to grieve when they lose their loved one. And sometimes yeah. you grieve when you just lose things. You don't have to just lose, lose a job, lose a marriage, lose a boyfriend. You know, we all, grieve after that some of us laugh but uh but most of us <laughs> grieve after that right so what i'm saying is in this situation though we can't grieve the traditional way in black yeah. communities that i'm familiar with people had to wake you know to make sure people were dead that was the historical reason why we had mm -hmm. to wait but we had to wait which was see i didn't know that i didn't know that you had to had to wait to make sure people were dead yeah so you have to see, well, yes, that's see? part of their old history because you didn't have any way of, of knowing for sure. Yeah. So anyway, they kept people in their homes in the old days too, and they buried it within 
uh, 24, 48 hours. But mm-hmm. now in many, in recent times, last 100 years or so, maybe even longer because the Egyptians have been bombing for 4,000 years, you know, we didn't bomb people. Mm-hmm. But, and then we have the funeral on Saturday or Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then after the funeral, we have a repast, which is when people come together, you know, to eat food, and cake, and pie, and celebrate, drink whiskey, and mm-hmm. they have fun. Yeah. Right? Because our funeral is considered to be a celebration. Right. So you grieve early on, you grieve at the wake, you, you grieve in between, but the funeral itself is not so much grieving, it's a celebration. Now, after that, you have time to grieve. Yeah. If you need more time. What's happening now is that people can't do that. Yeah. And there are some instances where people are having these virtual funerals, but that's totally new, like Zoom and all this other stuff we're doing yeah. now with technology. And a lot of people are just not participating. And then yeah. also you have a situation where you have to, the funeral home have to decide how many people can be at the graveside. They have to decide how many people can come to the funeral, 10 or less. And then, you know, among our community, then you got to decide on who's going to make that decision. Right. Oh, gosh. God bless. So that's a whole issue right there that can create domestic violence, really. Yes, really. The question is going to be, why should (laughs) she get to go? (laughs) And and I'm Susie, and I love Bob, and I love Dad, and I love Uncle, and I don't get to go. So that creates all kinds of friction, right? Right. Behind the funeral. Mm, mm, mm. And because you can't grieve in a traditional way. So while there's some light moments about funerals, this is heavy because people are not able to do things that they traditionally do. And yeah. I think that too, look going forward, we don't know the kind of impact that will have on the culture in terms of making changes in the way we, when I say we, the black community has traditionally conducted uh, funeral and burials. I know that's something I've been fortunate to not have to deal with during this time. And I'm sure some listeners have. And uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see how we're going to be after all of this with being together for the good and the bad. So again, you know, check in with yourself when these things are going on, because it's just so easy to just kind of go through the day and do yet another Zoom whatever it is, but make sure you check in with your feelings. But like you said, Dave, you know, listen, if you feel like you don't want to attend that Zoom, you know, funeral for whatever the reasons are that your heart is telling you, listen to that. I mean, that's my recommendation. That's that's right. That's a good recommendation. But now I think what you're saying in addition to this, you do have to find ways to reach out to people though. Right. That's you, a good you point. You have to yes. communicate. So if it's not Zoom, telephone. If right. it's not telephone, holler across the street. Mm-hmm. do something to let your neighbors know, do something to let your friends know that, and they need to contact you to say, I really cared about her. Yeah. I really cared about him. I'm not going to be able to come to a funeral, but I just want you to know how much I thought about your loved one. That's true. And I think people, when they receive that from people, that can help them through this difficult period. But for people to have to not, do not have that, and they yeah. don't have people to reach out to them because they didn't, couldn't physically be there, it's a double whammy. Right. I think it could add more weight and, and more trauma to an already distressed and already grieving person. Right. And that's, that's a very, very good point. Thanks, Ed, for bringing that up. And just to kind of conclude in terms of, you know, how we treat those who are, because a lot of us are not psychologists, psychiatrists, social workers, et cetera, how we treat those who are dealing with whatever they're dealing with mentally. I think it's very important for us to not put blame 
on folks for example if you're let's say suffering from depression and you know all your other kids call you every day and check in with you and then this one particular child doesn't let's not ostracize them because they're not doing it let's find out maybe why there may mm. be other reasons there might, it might not just be because they don't want to maybe it takes a lot of energy to call or text so you know it's very important that we be and that that i'm using the parent child but that could because that's what dad and i are but it can be you know girlfriend to girlfriend or cousin to cousin or colleague to colleague do know that people are dealing with all kind of stuff right now so let's just not make a blanket assumption that because this person's not checking in with us means that they don't care that's exactly right and i think we should be intentional uh, and of course, I have a sister that you know very well that if she doesn't hear from me within a few days, she always asks me. <laughs> we why, all know why, who that is. Why, 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 don't, why, don't, why don't you call me? And I said, my number is whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but your point is so well taken that we have to be intentional, though. Mm -hmm. And we do have to reach out. And we should not assume that because we have not heard from somebody that there's something that they feel negative about us in any way yeah right it may be something going on in their own life that you wouldn't know about unless you were intentional and 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 and, and started a conversation with that person especially somebody that you know well because even people you know well you don't always know well right in our case you know and i've said this a long time as much as we appreciate each other and love each other the assumption that you make about your dad, the assumption you make about your daughter, mm -hmm. and unless people start to communicate, yeah, their little subtle parts of any relationship you just don't know about. Yeah, uh, so just true. like with spouses and everything else, you have to work at it daily. Yeah, and last week ball game is not good enough. It's you know it's what you do to today and tomorrow that's going make the difference this stigma thing though is absolutely right we got to get rid of the stigma right and quit making people feel shame and guilty for having a mental illness because they don't have control over that they can help fix it and we can help fix it just like you don't always have control over your physical health something just happens to you stuff right. happens absolutely absolutely and if you're in the atlanta area there is a woman here physically but she's on social media as well you mentioned the word shame and she her organization is called silence the shame she was a big time executive record executive uh here in atlanta and really suffered for many many years with anxiety and depression and not wanting people to know and so her organization i would say to check it out if you get a chance it's called silence the shame and she really speaks to to that getting away from the stigma in our in our community of mental health you can see i'm i'm living you know i'm still doing things and experiencing life i just needed to check in with what was going on with me mentally i'm i'm on the other side now that i have these tools in place but i can only i can't imagine where i would be if i didn't at this time especially during this pandemic and you can't look at a person and tell absolutely you not. cannot look at a person and tell the person, mm -hmm. as you say, has to check in himself or herself with some help mm -hmm. to get to the other side. Absolutely. Well, Dad, this was really good. I feel like I've learned something about I didn't know anything about the weight. You really don't know, but I learned some things about you. 
And I hope that, you know, you learned some things about me. Of course, that's why we're doing the podcast. Well, that's right. That's mutual. And it's just amazing how much things that we know and things that we share, uh, the other folk out there know and share as well. But I think we have an obligation to, from time to time, when we get the opportunity to share some things. And even though people will say, well, these guys are all over the place. One of the things that we <laughs> said from the first podcast that it would be, we would cover a broad range of issues. Right. And this is not made up stuff. These are things that we have talked about over the years and will continue to talk about in future years. So again, we just want to, we hope that what we had to say today uh, would be of some value. And even though we've had some light moments here today, yeah. but we, we want you to know that this mental illness thing, just like the physical illness, is something serious and you should get help to take care of it. Absolutely. And, you know, today's word is check in. So that's check in with others and check in with yourself. No matter what, don't be embarrassed. Touche. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. And don't worry, we have more episodes coming for you. So next week we are going to talk about, and I may have mentioned this before, and I believe I did in our first episode, about me donating the kidney to my cousin. So we're going to talk about kidney donation. We're going to have some special guests with us to just talk about how that process was really seamless and also some organizations that you may want to get some more information about around that. So remember, be safe and share love. One love. If you would like to contact us, email daddaughterdialogues at gmail.com. That's daddaughterdialogues with an S at gmail.com. And let us know how we're doing, as well as what you'd like to hear us discuss. We appreciate the support and ask that wherever you are, be and stay safe. This is the love. This is the love. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love. This is the love. This is the love. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love. This is the love. This is the love. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love that makes me strong. This is the love.